You know, when it comes to Christians, all of us here, there's no group that has more for which to be thankful. There's no group that has more for which to be thankful. We have taken hold of God's free gift of eternal salvation. No aspect of salvation is based on our efforts, as we know. And in a society that focuses on entitlements, we realize that the only thing we're entitled to is death. So we have a lot of reason to be thankful, and that's what we should be thankful. We need to express sincere thankfulness to God on a regular basis, not just thanksgiving, but all through our lives. And we should, as Christians, be quick to express sincere thankfulness to other people, even people we don't know. I have really forced myself to get into the habit in my senior years <laughs> to try to help as many people as I can. Something simple as you're going into a store, you're going into the post office, you kind of see in the glass that there's somebody coming behind you, open the door for them with a smile. You don't have to say anything, just smile. And you know what? You'd be surprised how you can brighten somebody's day, if not for just a moment. Amen. And that's something that they will look back on for the rest of that day and thinking, how, how kind, how nice that little old guy who opened the door for me. And be, you know, be, uh, be on guard because I've had some women that I've held doors for who gave me a dirty look instead of thanking me. I'm not doing it for thanks. I'm doing it to be a Christian. I'm doing it to be kind to people. I'm doing it to try to brighten somebody's day. And you'll be surprised, most people will be very appreciative of your kindness in doing that. And I also, you know, maybe going into the store and I can't find something I'm looking for, I ask one of the people who work there. And I do it in a nice way. And I say, you know, could you please help me find this? Or I don't see this on the shelf. Is it possible you can drag it out from the back storeroom someplace? And if they put forth a minimum amount of effort, whether they find the item or not, I always try to be very thankful and appreciative for the efforts that they put forth. You know, they didn't have to help me. They, they did it to be nice. And, you know, if they don't find the item I'm looking for, I don't say, well, thanks for nothing. <laughs> you know, I say, thank you so much for taking the time to look for that. I really do appreciate that. You know, it's hard to work with the public in this day and age. And for uh, somebody in the public that you don't know who shows kindness and appreciation to, to, to uh, you, that's, that's a big deal. And most people will be, be very appreciative of that. So when it comes to God, how do we show thankfulness to him? Now, obviously, you can say, thank you, Lord, or thank you, God, thank you, Jesus. That's one way of doing it. But I want to take a, a couple of steps further than, than that. It's very easy to say thank you, and that's a good thing to, to say thanks to him. But what goes along with that? You know, it's one thing to say thank you, but how do you show your appreciation to God? Now, if somebody does a kind thing for you, maybe they invite you out to dinner or they take you out for coffee, uh, many of us would maybe write a note, send a thank you card, 
That's a, that's an, a nice act to kind of back up the words, thank you, send some flowers, bake them something, and, and have it you know, taken to them. It's one step beyond being saying thank, thank you. It's an act that backs up your thankfulness. And I think that we can do this with God. In fact, the Bible shows us different ways to do things that please God, to kind of back up your thankfulness to Him. So there are things that we can do to show our thanks to God. It's one thing to say it, we should do that often, but what are some of the things we should do to demonstrate our thankfulness to Him? What can we do as God's children to please God? Now, most of us don't have parents still alive, some of us do, but do you know them well enough to know what it is they like and what you can do to please them and to make them happy, to show your appreciation? I found three things that I'd like to explain to you about what we can do uh, to show our thankfulness to God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17. And we're going to begin in verse 11. We're all very well familiar with this story, but I want to bring out a point or two that maybe we don't normally consider. This is the story of how Jesus healed 10 men who had leprosy. Uh, leprosy was a terrible disease as it still exists in some parts of the world. It is a disease that is for all intents and purposes incurable. And it deforms your body in just a terrible way Back in Jesus' day, there were laws about if you caught leprosy, if you had leprosy, you couldn't be in public. You had to be separated from the rest of society uh, so no one else would catch it. So a lot of times these people would end up being alone in a leper colony, and this is what Jesus encountered here. Verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. They had to be separated because of their disease. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. Now, if you had a disease, no matter what kind of disease you had, and if you were feeling better and felt you were able to go back into public, you had to be checked out by the priests. That was one of their jobs. They were like the medical examiners, and whatever they said goes. If they said, okay, you look like you're better, you can go back into a public, you could do that. But if they said, no, we still feel that you're, you still got it and uh, you need to stay away, you had to obey that. So he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. They were healed of their disease, leprosy, a terrible disease. Verse uh, 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a foreigner. Jesus asked, now notice, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to the Samaritan who came back to thank him and praise him, rise up and go, your faith has made you well. So Jesus took this man one step further. Not only was his disease cleansed, he received, it seems at this point, salvation. Because of a simple act of thankfulness. Now notice what Jesus said here. Certainly, we have much to be thankful for. We should be thankful about Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our personal sins. We should be thankful for the fact that a veil that covered our eyes so that we couldn't understand God's word has been removed so that we can now understand God's word deeply. So this man came back to show his thanks, but Jesus says here, where are the other nine? Was no one found to return? He doesn't say and to just say thanks. He said to return and give praise to God. So here's one thing that we can do to show our thankfulness. Praise God. That's what we're doing here today. And that's a very good thing. We've come here to praise God. We can say thanks to him. But when we praise him, we recognize who he is. We believe who he is. He's not just the Messiah. He's not just a man. He's the son of God. He is the savior. He is the one who rescued us from our sins. And because this man just showed this one act of thankfulness, of praise of Jesus, he received, it seems, salvation. Now the other nine were healed. They went on with their lives, but they didn't show that act of appreciation, of thankfulness. And they were not taken one step further in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus shows us not just when a miracle takes place in our lives. You know, we have so much more to be thankful for. I'm sure all of us have been healed. We've been protected. We've been rescued in one sense or another. But you see what? All of our sins have been forgiven. And we now have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So that's why we come to church. But you know what? Praise does not just happen here. Praise happens in our daily lives. It can be a personal thing. This is corporate praise. We meet together as a congregation, but personal praise should also take place. We don't just praise God when we come to church on Sunday. We praise God on a continual basis in our lives. From the time we wake up in the morning and we realize God has given us an, another day, Amen. we praise him in that. When situations work out in our lives, when we consider the relationships we have in our lives, not just physical family, but spiritual family, we have a church here, uh, friends, co-workers, all the people that we really appreciate in our lives, that's a reason to give God praise. So I want to turn to one example, and let's turn back to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. This is an example. David was a man who praised God on a regular basis. And this is what it sounds like to praise God. Now, you know, there are many psalms that are psalms of praise. And if you don't know what to say to God, read through one of these. <clears throat> Psalm 145 through the end of the book of Psalms is psalms of praise. 
David says this, I will exalt you, O my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. <coughs> I need a throat lozenges. <coughs> Thank you, dear. I will praise you forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Verse six, your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. We've all experienced that. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. That's a real good example of praise. If you can't think of anything to thank God for, first of all, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> But secondly, this is a good psalm to read through. So Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, all of those are psalms of praise. And there are others throughout the book of Psalms. So a good way to express thankfulness to God is to praise him. A second one. We're going to turn back to uh, Matthew 17 this time. And you know what? God enjoys praise. What do you mean? Is God on an ego trip or something? No, he isn't. He's very humble. But you know what? He's God, isn't he? He deserves our praise. A second thing, way that we could show our thankfulness is something that really pleases God. And that is taking pleasure in his son, Jesus Christ. When we take pleasure in Jesus Christ, when we think about what a wonderful Savior and Messiah he is, that pleases God the Father. Because he is dealing with us in many ways through his son, Jesus Christ. 
He is the one, God the Father is the one, along with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who formulated the plan of salvation. They are the ones who knew in advance that mankind would fail miserably. And they designed a plan whereby we can be saved from our sins. So when we're drawn to Jesus, and don't forget the Father, you know, through Jesus Christ reveals himself. So he points us to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ. So when we take note of Jesus, when we dwell on him, when we focus on him, it gives God the Father great pleasure and the Holy Spirit as well. It says in Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1, another story that we're very familiar with, the transfiguration. When God gave the disciples a preview of the glorified Christ. So it says here, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. In other words, Jesus' form, his figure was changed. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud, God the Father, said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is very dear to God the Father. And when we hold Jesus Christ with the same feelings and emotions, it pleases God very much. So we show our thankfulness to God by taking special pleasure in Jesus Christ, his son. For you old timers in the church, years and years and years ago when our focus was different, when we were more legalist and tied to the Old Testament, we didn't talk very much about Jesus, believe it or not. As, as Christians, we spent a lot of time talking about the laws of the Old Testament and the stories of the Old Testament, which are fine stories. But what we do now, as we read the Old Testament, we look for Jesus in there. We see prototypes of Jesus. We see, uh, you know, where Jesus was kind of portrayed in Old Testament times and prophecies about Jesus, prophecies about a child born in Bethlehem, prophecies about a child born of a virgin, and so on and so forth. Our focus now is on Jesus because that's what pleases God the Father, and that's where our focus should be, okay? The stories in the Old Testament are true, but it's not where our focus should be. And I remember years and years ago when our teaching and our focus changed from a lot of the Old Testament stuff to more on Jesus, I can literally remember some people that I talked to at that time who didn't get it ask me the question, what's with all this Jesus stuff now? <laughs> you can see where our focus was wrong. It wasn't where it needed to be. 
Our focus is on Jesus because that's where God the Father's focus is. It's on his son in whom he takes pleasure, in whom we're directed toward by the Holy Spirit and by God the Father. So when the father looks at his son, he enjoys him, he admires him, he cherishes him, he prizes him, and he delights in him. Why shouldn't we? That should be where our focus is as well. Notice in Matthew 12, just a couple pages back, in verse 15. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 15. Jesus here quotes an Old Testament scripture describing his father's feelings toward him. So this is John, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, beginning in verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So this is a prophecy about Jesus and his relationship with the father. His father speaking, here is my servant, Jesus, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will he not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. So the father referred to Jesus as his servant, whom he has chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. That needs to be our focus as Christians today. Jesus Christ and all that he means to us. So Jesus quotes this Old Testament prophecy, which refers to his father's feelings toward him. We should have the same feelings. When we feel this way about Jesus, it pleases God. It really pleases him. So, in other words, we're finding out what is it that God really likes? What pleases him? What does he love the most? His son. And he feels that way about his son. When we feel that way about his son, it pleases God. And it's a way of us showing our thankfulness to God. So we thank God. We express thanks to God by praise. We express thanks to God by taking pleasure in his son. And finally, point number three. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There is a process that is taking place in each of our lives right now. And it will continue on until Jesus returns. And that process is called transformation. So I'm going to give you three big technical theological terms. You know, there's three steps in becoming a Christian. The first step is justification, which Jesus accomplished on the cross. He caused us to be justified from our sins by paying the penalty for us. So first comes justification, then comes sanctification. Okay, we're in the process now, since Jesus has justified us by his sacrifice on the cross, we're now being sanctified. We're being changed, okay? to be more pleasing to God, to be more like God himself. So we're now in sanctification, and the final step is being changed at Jesus' second coming, glorification. Glorification, we will be glorified at that time. So justification comes first, that's accomplished. 
Sanctification is happening now. Glorification is going to happen at Jesus' return. So what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be changed. It means to be transformed. We're morphing, if you will, (laughs) into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's happening every day in our lives. You don't always realize it when it's happening, but step by step, day by day, the Holy Spirit is changing, changing us from inside out. The Holy Spirit who's dwelling in us is transforming us. It says here in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, And we, he was telling the story of Moses going up on the mountain to get the the law from from God at the time of the Exodus. He came down from the mountain. His face was glowing from being in the presence of, of God on Mount Sinai. And it was weird, and the Israelites didn't understand it and were afraid of it. So they made Moses wear a veil over his face so nobody can see him and be shocked by his appearance. He says here, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. So we don't have to to wear a veil today. We're being changed. You know, sometimes it shows on our face that we're a Christian now and our lives are being changed for the better. We're not the same old person that we used to be. Sometimes when we bump into some of our old friends that we haven't seen for years, they notice a difference about us. They can't put their finger on it. You know, you don't use the filthy language you used to use. You know, you're not gambling anymore. You're not doing drugs anymore. You're not this, you're not that. Yeah, I'm being transformed. They won't understand that, but that's what's happening to you. You are different than you used to be. We don't always notice it because we look at our same image in the mirror every day. We look pretty much the same, getting a little older, but we are different. Sometimes people notice it. God certainly notices it. So we're not wearing a veil to hide our our face. Our appearance is open to everybody. People are going to notice that we've changed for the better. So we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Verse 15, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers. A veil covers their hearts, talking about the Jews of old. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we read in point two, the more we become like him. We are all in the process of being transformed into his likeness. The way to become more and more like Jesus is to fix your gaze on his glory and keep him in view. That's why most of our our sermons, most all of our sermons will mention Jesus. I'll, I'll tell you a fact, all of our sermons will mention Jesus because he's the one we're focusing on, because he's the one we're being transformed into And the Bible teaches us that the more you focus on Jesus, the more you are being transformed into his glory. Day by day, with ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what is really going to please God the Father? That you praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That you take pleasure in his Son. And that you pay special attention to his Son because he's the one you're being transformed into. We don't focus on Moses because we're not being transformed into Moses. We don't focus on Elijah because we're not being transformed into Elijah. Our main message is about Jesus because he's the one we're being changed into. And the more we talk about him, the more we think about him, we come up to the communion table and have communion with him, we're being transformed into him. You know, people used to tell me, well, you're a lot like your father, or you're a lot like your mother. Why is that? Well, because they're the ones that I spend so much time with. They raised me. They gave birth to me. They raised me. It's no wonder that I'm a lot like them. It's the same thing with ourselves and Jesus. People should be able to say, you seem to be a lot like Jesus. Well, he's the one we've been focusing on for the past 20, 30, or 40 years. Why not? It only makes sense. We grew up not only watching our parents, but for the past years that you've been a Christian, you continued to mature watching Jesus, reading about him, studying him. That's why we're being transformed into his likeness. That's how God is accomplishing it. Let's turn finally to 1 John chapter 3. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. Way back in the back of your Bible. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 1. Since we're being transformed into the image of Jesus, that is our destiny. And we need to live in that reality. Think about what God is doing in us and how he's doing it, how he's accomplishing it. That truth has consequences in how we live our life every day. We have to live in that reality of how we're being changed by God. We don't always notice it. It's a very gradual process. It's a lifelong process. But we have to be reminded that's who we are. That's where we are. That's what we're doing. That's what God is doing in us right now. So we have to live in that reality. And that's why he says here in 1 John 3, beginning in verse 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. When Jesus returns, or when we get to heaven, what that's going to be like. We don't know all the details of that. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he, Jesus, is pure. So we need to keep that foremost in our minds. I'm not just a normal person. I'm a Christian. And what does that mean? I'm going through the sanctification process. God is changing me. I'm morphing through the power of God more and more every day into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. 
So that's what helps us to say no to doing things we know we're not supposed to do. That helps us say no to saying things we're not supposed to say. We have to keep that forefront in our minds, who we are. We're not just the average Joe or Jane on the street. We're children of God. And as he's changing us, we need to get out of the way and let him do his work. The only thing that stops God from doing his work in us is when we drag our feet, saying, no, I kind of like the old life the way it's been, and it's kind of hard for me to change, kind of hard for me to do the right things. It's not doing the right things that saves us. We do it because we are saved. <laughs> we have to live up to who we are. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. Realize the work God is doing in us and cooperate with it. Amen. Cooperate with it. That pleases God because that's what the whole process is about. That's what he's doing. He called us so that our sins can be forgiven. Instead of death, we can have eternal life with him and enjoy him and get to know him like we've never known him before. We need to be aware of that and participate in it. And that pleases God greatly because that's why we're here. That's what he's done with us. So thankfulness to other people, certainly. We're Christians and that's the way we're supposed to live. Be a kind person. Be a, a serving person, no matter where you are. But when it comes to God, we thank him vocally in our prayers. But along with that goes what? Praise on a regular basis, taking pleasure in his son because he's the one God sent to help us. And finally, being transformed into his likeness. Amen. Praise be to God for all the wonderful work he's doing in us. All the credit goes to him. All the glory goes to him. We're nothing compared to him. But he has made us his children. And we didn't deserve it. And we still don't deserve it. But through his mercy, his compassion, his grace, that's what he has called us to be. That's what he wants the whole world to be. But we have the choice whether we're going to humble ourselves and admit that we need a savior or if we're going to think either God doesn't exist or we don't need God in our lives. Unfortunately, a lot of people feel like that. But thanks be to God for his calling, his strength, uh, his eternal life that he's given us that we already have. So uh, in that season, the Thanksgiving season, let's be reminded of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, we say thank you to you a lot, and we rightly should. But help us to express that thankfulness in ways that you prescribe in the Bible. Praising you, not even having to put forth an effort to be here for church every week, but also to praise you in our personal lives, in our daily lives. Help us to take more and more pleasure in your son. He's wonderful, he's beautiful, he's a savior beyond imagination. We love him very much. And help us, Father, to get out of the way and to let you do your transformation work in each of our lives. And we look forward to the time that we will see Jesus like he is and we will be like him. That is our goal. Help us to continue in that journey and in that uh, adventure. And that's what it is sometimes, an adventure. But we know that you're there guiding us through it. You'll never let go of us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. 
and someday we're going to rejoice with you at the culmination of all things. So, Father, thank you. Protect us this week as we uh, go about our business and our lives. Uh, the weather's starting to change and get colder, Father, so set your angels round about us and help us through each day. We praise you, we love you, and we ask this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.